The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello, everybody. Welcome to A Good Football Show. I am Patrick Darty, joined today by Denny Carter, where we will be completing our division preview series with the NFC East. We'll be joined by NBC Sports Philadelphia's Dave Zangaro to discuss the Eagles, and the New York Daily News' Pat Leonard to talk about the Giants. Denny and I will then dive into the Cowboys and maybe the Commanders. We might find a player worth talking about. We'll see. We'll see. We'll just see. But first, it is our pleasure to welcome in NBC Sports Philadelphia's Dave Zangaro, who... Uh, we'll take you behind the curtain. I just spent 10 minutes before the show trying to say his last name. And uh, Dave, I you nailed think, it, though. You think did good. I nailed it? Yeah. yeah. Uh, Crushed it. I'll have forgotten how to like say it by the end of the show, though. I do know. Uh, well, Dave, let's just start at the beginning, then. Uh, Jalen Hurts, that's the player every fantasy manager is talking about. He's the guy on the cover of our magazine this year, kind of because he's the classic. I don't know. How, are you a fantasy player, Dave, by the way? I am. Uh, I'm not super into it. But I, I get it, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, one one of the – like it's quite common in fantasy for a quarterback to be better in fantasy in real life, particularly if they are a rushing threat. So Jalen Hurts is kind of like a fantasy superstar already, but we know in real life, you know, he's not anywhere close to that proven. What have you seen pers- – what have you, like, just with your own eyes, seen out of Jalen Hurts this summer? And do you think there will be enough improvement from Hurts to kind of open up this passing attack this season? Yeah, that's really the the biggest question about the Eagles in general. He's still going to have that running ability. It's going to be there. And I think in these practices during training camp, you kind of forget about it a little bit because it, it's not really conducive to, to showing that off. That'll be there. He has to improve as a passer. And a lot of it will be helped by A.J. Brown uh, joining him in Philly. And, you know, I think the one thing where Hurts really has to improve is not just accuracy. I feel like that's too big of an umbrella, but it's really his ability to throw with anticipation uh, and get the ball out on time. And there have been moments where, you know, in his career where that just hasn't been the case. And there's a big difference. You know, if he's if he's throwing a slant, it, there's a big difference to throwing it on the numbers or throwing it to a spot where he can lead the receiver and they can pick up some yak. And I think that's kind of the next step in his development. We've seen some good signs with A.J. Brown, who really is like, the type of receiver they needed to round out this group because they had Devontae Smith, who's a great route runner, really smooth. And they had Quez Watkins, who's the four, three guy. Uh, but AJ Brown is the nice mixture of all that. He's a fast guy, but big body has the ability to win 50, 50 balls. 
and in the middle of the field can give them a weapon because they, if you kind of look at those spray charts uh, from last year, not a lot of activity in the middle of the field, most of it to the right side. Uh, so having a player like AJ Brown should open up a little bit more of the field. We'll ask you a little bit more about AJ Brown in a minute, but then with Hurts, so we, we spent a lot of time talking about his passing, and that's just kind of like the obsessive focus because we kind of just take his rushing for granted. But you know, he got banged up late last season. He's the classic taking a lot of hits. Do you think might, there might be any change in Jalen Hurts's rushing usage? This season, or are the legs, the rushing, just too valuable for the Eagles to really consider that? You know what the funny thing is? Like, last year they started the season with a ton of read option, and there are even some RPOs in the mix. And they kind of took that out of the offense, and the rushing didn't struggle. So I think that's going to be there. And even if they're not if, – if they don't kind of put in those uh, design quarterback runs, they're, he's still going to pick up yards on off-schedule plays. Uh, that's not going anywhere. Is he going to score 10 touchdowns on the game? Yes. I mean, probably yes. not. Oh, not. My wrong answer. Got no. it. That's not what fantasy managers, you've just been canceled I, by I fantasy managers. The passing touchdowns are going to improve. I think there's that's going to balance out a little bit. I don't think 10 rushing touchdowns is sustainable, but I also think 16 passing touchdowns is too low. So I, overall, I think the touchdown numbers might go up. I just Getting 10 rushing touchdowns as a quarterback is an awful lot. And there, we'll talk about Miles Sanders. I'm sure he didn't have any rushing touchdowns last year. It's hard for me to think that that's going to happen again. So I, I think we're going to see a little bit more balance out of that offense in terms of where the touchdowns come from. It would be incredible if Miles Sanders did not uh, add to that total. Uh, here. <laughs> would be quite. He seems like the kind of player that might challenge accept that. Right. <laughs> I really, really hope he does not. Let's hope. Let's hope not. So uh, getting back to AJ Brown for just a moment, Dave drawing rave reviews. I saw a tweet today uh, that said that uh, he could see quote 11 billion targets uh, <laughs> this year. Uh, so <laughs> I think there's been a, a comparison, uh, but several people both in like real and fantasy world about Jalen hurts as a passer coming into his third season and, and some of the parallels for Josh Allen's third season, not Uh-oh. saying he's, he's going to, not saying he's going to make that jump, <laughs> that kind of jump, but, but, the Bills, they were very run heavy on, in, in Josh Allen's first two years. They brought in Stefan Diggs. They shifted offensive philosophy. Now the Eagles have brought in A.J. Brown, who is, you know, c- clearly an alpha wide receiver one in any offense. Do you see that sort of shift coming to this philosophical shift coming to the Philadelphia offense? In a way, you know, last year they were the 25th ranked passing offense in the league. And you can win like that, right? But it's a lot harder. And I think they realize that they just have to be better as a passing. They wanted to be that last year and kind of out of necessity, they shifted away from it and they became a run heavy team because they had this great offensive line and they figured, all right, we have some running backs who can do it. And we have this quarterback who's able to do it. But I think they, after the season, they looked at it and said, look, our best chance to be successful long-term is to be a better passing offense and I think that's expected. But the funny thing is they've really added one starter on that side of the ball. And it's right. AJ Brown. Everyone else is pretty much the same. You bring back the same quarterback. You bring back the same group of running backs. The offensive line has changed a little bit, but it's still very good. One of the best in the league. They have Dallas Goddard, who was here last year as their number one tight end. The thing that's changed is they have AJ Brown. So it kind of tells you how much of their improvement or expected improvement in the passing game really just comes down to his presence 
and it shouldn't be overstated. I mean, it, 11 billion, I'd take the under on that. But, uh, it, he's getting targeted an awful lot in training camp. And uh, Devontae Smith's been a little banged up, but even before Smith had missed practice, most of the targets were going to A.J. Brown, and I don't think that's a coincidence. With, so you talked about Jalen kind of like the next step in his passing game being like improving his anticipation. I mean, A.J. Brown is one of the most like dynamic after-the-catch receivers in the entire league. Have you seen that being an emphasis? Um, just trying to get A.J. Brown in space, trying to get him where he can have a head of steam, or is he being used that way or more conventionally? Just How has he been, been, been being used in camp? Yeah, no, it's a very good. It's funny. I'm actually writing a story right now about AJ Brown and his yak. Uh, he's very good at it. Obviously, he's like 230 pounds, strong hands, uh, runs through every catch. So they're he's like a bigger Percy Harvin. Like he is. He, yeah, he's yeah, I dangerous. can kind of see that. There aren't many guys who fit that profile. Um, you know, Debo's kind of a unicorn in a lot of ways, but uh, a lot of the similar size, speed, you know, correlation as A.J. Brown, just a big guy who's very fast. And in order to, to get the most out of him, you need those plays to be in rhythm. And that has been encouraging. We've seen a lot of, you know, a slant, just a slant being on time means so much to what they want to do offensively. And you know, Nick Sirianni always talks about uh, explosive plays. And I think it's really important to remember that explosive plays in, in the past game don't mean chucking the ball 30, 40 yards downfield. In this offense, they love slants. They love crossers. They love to be able to get the ball on a completable pass, an easy pass, get it in your receiver's hands, and then let them do the rest. And uh, it's going to be a big part of this team, I think. And, you know, that he, he looks back to his time, really even before he was in Indianapolis with Frank Reich when he was in San Diego um, back in the day with, like, Tyrell Williams, who's a super speedy guy, but – they made their money on the crossers. It was him kind of dragging across the field, hitting him in rhythm and letting him do the rest. So I think that's going to be a big part of what they try to do. So obviously it's kind of like spoiler alert, AJ Brown will be a big part of the offense. Um, but like behind AJ Brown. So again, we're talking about this offense, at least for fantasy purposes, hopefully becoming more pass heavy, creating more targets. Cause there's a lot of talented guys, but I mean, so we know AJ Brown though is going to be, he was acquired to be, the alpha, the clear cut wide receiver one with guys like Devonte Smith, Dallas Goddard as secondary pass catchers. And will probably still be, you know, a run first offense, even if it's more pass heavy. Do you see like, this is like kind of like a pure statistical question. I mean, do you see them getting enough looks to produce numbers that will satisfy fantasy managers or any kind of thing where this like, you know, so a lot of three catch games from Devonte Smith, you know, a lot of three catch games from Dallas Goddard, or do you think they can kind of more, consistently kind of stuff the box score this year. Yeah, it's it's it might be tricky at times this year because it, if teams are going to really kind of shade coverage to A.J. Brown, the Eagles feel like they have the other pass catchers to get involved. And it kind of starts with Devontae and, and Dallas Goddard. I feel more confident about Dallas Goddard having a very consistent high production season because – uh, you looked at his production last year after the Zach Ertz trade. You really have to break it down because early last season, they were in this weird situation where no one thought Zach Ertz was going to be here. It was kind of weird. And then that was, that was one of the weirdest. I haven't thought about it in a while. That was, it was a weird strange. summer. No one vibe. thought he was going to be here. And then week one comes and he's on the team and you go, all right, well, 
they're gonna have to run 12 personnel and they're you know it was it was kind of weird and disjointed but once that trade happened dallas goddard became tight end one uh he was on a thousand yard pace so he was much better after that and he's looked very good in camp he has a, a real connection with jalen hurts so if aj brown is one in terms of targets we've seen this summer dallas goddard's 1a i mean he's he's gotten a ton of looks Devontae Smith could end up being the, the odd man out here if you're talking in terms of targets. And he's a really talented player. And they they want to run the offense through those three guys. It's just you start to break down the numbers and you think, oh, he's at the, there's a thousand yard season. There's a, there's not gonna be that many yards. I mean, it what's the the over-under on Jalen Hurts passing yards? You know, they got you have to figure out where they're coming from. And, and then even after that, I mean, Quez Watkins, who is a pretty talented third receiver had over 600 yards last year probably not going to be able to do that again just if everyone stays healthy in front of them it's not it's not the oprah mean where you get a thousand yards you get a thousand <laughs> yards everybody gets you start, and it's funny because you start talking about these players and you have a lot of confidence in them and even zach pascal as a four is a pretty good four but the numbers that they could put up if you do that and then you add them up you go well jalen's not throwing for six thousand yards it's that's not the way any of this works so uh, I, I, they're going to be games where one of those guys just doesn't produce, and it they could end up being a pretty frustrating team from a fantasy perspective because of it. Denny is you know, Denny's going to get to the backfield in just a second, but so you, Devontae Smith, you mentioned him maybe him maybe being the odd man out of the big three, quote unquote. Who, is there a fourth pass catcher in this offense? Is it Zach Pascal? Is it maybe Kenneth Gainwell? Is it Quez Watkins? Jalen Rager going to make the team? Just real quick, like who do you see being the fourth pass catcher? Yeah, it's probably Quez Watkins. Just because they're going to run a lot of 11 personnel, they're going to have three receivers on the field. And he's been the guy. I mean, he'll primarily work from the slot, and they'll have A.J. Brown at times kind of move inside just to for matchup purposes. But when they're in 11 personnel with three receivers, Quez Watkins is going to be the guy out there. I think Gainwell is going to be steady. You know, I think he'll have a steadier role, but I don't think the production for him is necessarily going to jump because Miles Sanders is still their their primary back. But I, when you're talking about like smooth pass catchers, Kenneth Gainwell is a very smooth pass catcher. I think his ceiling in terms of production, though, is still somewhat limited because the snaps have to work out in a way for him to have that production. I'm not so sure that's going to happen. You know, speaking of the backfield, you know, Miles Sanders famously uh, said earlier this offseason, don't draft me. Fantasy. <laughs> uh, some of us are listening. Others are not. <laughs> and, I'm not you listening. Know, Nick, Nick Sirianni has said, uh, you know, that he is the, the, the starting, the top running back. Uh, he, he said that back in late July. Um, and then we got a report uh, this this week from Sports Illustrated saying that uh, Kenneth Gainwell is, quote, penciled in for high leverage situations like third downs, the hurry up offense and goal line work, which makes sense because he he last year he was very good and efficient pass catcher out of the Eagles backfield. Does does Miles Sanders have to I don't, I don't want to say worry, but contend with Gainwell and Boston Scott or is it mostly Gainwell that's going to threaten his uh, snap share? It's mostly Gainwell. I, I think they look at Boston Scott as. A nice option if Miles misses time, which has happened. He's missed nine games over the last two years. They look at Boston as a guy who can come in and carry the load for an entire game. Whereas, you know, Gainwell is going to mix in there in, you know, passing situations is 
where he's going to thrive and not just as a pass catcher, he's really improved in pass protection, which, you know, if you can't do that, you're probably not going to see the field in those situations. But I got to tell you, miles has looked really strong running the football this summer. He's his lower body looks stronger than I've ever seen it. Um, A lot more explosive runs out of him, which is he's had such a weird career. I mean, his rookie year was 500 yards receiving the next couple of years. He's had, you know, just high yard per carry averages, but you know, no touchdowns last year. He keeps getting hurt. It, it's a year for him to finally put it together. At least that's his hope, because it's also a contract season for him. And I don't, I don't know where you would start right now if you had to give him a contract. I don't know what it would look like because it, it hasn't been a complete season for him yet. Do you buy into that, by the way, with Kenneth Gainwell? Like. Is he going to be a guy like the most trusted back or is that kind of like camp noise and Miles Sanders isn't going to be seeding like every important, not every, isn't going to be seed. Who's going to see more important touches, Miles Sanders or Kenneth Gainwell, kind of like the money situations, third and short, the goal line, you know, like a big passing down. Yeah. I I think we're going to see Miles in there a lot, but I, I do think Gainwell is going to mix in, in those, in those situations because uh, just from, the pure receiving standpoint, he makes sense. And and they did that with him last year too. That's not anything new. I mean, he became in a lot of games, he became their two minute guy, you know, they liked him out there because they can, it's not just him in the backfield. They can put him out wide. They can put him in the slot. They can do a lot more things with him than they can miles. If you're talking in terms of pure runner miles is, Miles ahead of him, right? He's just much better. <laughs> you, you tried to not do it, and then you just had to. I'll go for it. You um, had to do it. Yeah, he just says he's a better runner, but Gainwell does things better than Miles in, in other areas. And Sanders had that. You look back at his career in that 500-yard receiving rookie season, but then you look at the totality of it and think, all right, well, what's the fluke here? Is it that year or the years that have come after it? And he just hasn't been able to be that consistent as a pass catcher. So he works on it. His hands just aren't as smooth as Gainwell. And I, I think for that reason, we're still going to see those third down snaps, those passing situations kind of be split between them. Dave, before we let you go, I, I'll put you on the spot. Will Miles Sanders score a touchdown? In uh, I will say, yeah, if the over-under is one half of a touchdown, <laughs> I will take the over. He'll smash the over on that. Yeah. Uh, that's uh, that's, that's heartening at least. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, Miles, if you're listening, fantasy managers, Miles Sanders will score a touchdown this year, at least in week one, maybe two, maybe three. Uh, Well, Dave, great stuff on the Eagles. Always just kind of the Eagles are always a fascinating team. Like, you know, a year or two ago, like I thought Howie Roseman was like, well, Howie Roseman has had a really interesting run in Philadelphia, but he's about out the door. And now they're, you know, they're back. They've rebuilt both sides uh, in the trenches. Uh, interesting team, like a lot of interesting. Real, a real interesting question, by the way, before they go, who's going to call plays? Has that been sorted out? It'll um, be Shane Steichen. Okay, so it will be because Nick Sirianni, I feel like, was kind of cagey on that all offseason. Yeah, it's uh, so it he wants to make it very clear, and this is why it was kind of cagey on it that you know, him and Shane have worked together for so long, uh, and they kind of go through situations throughout the week. So it's not like Shane, Shane has the whole playbook to call from, but. They have plays that they like week by week. All right, these are our red zone plays. So he's calling from like a shortened menu, and Nick always has the power to over override him. But no, Shane's calling the plays. 
So that, that's, I mean, I guess that, I was gonna say that's good to know. Then I was about to say, I don't really know why that's good to know. I guess it doesn't really change anything. <laughs> well, he, fantasy, he began but... doing that during last season. So you kind of look at the second half and you think, well, he ran the ball quite a bit, but I, I also think that was a function of what the offense was at that point. And now they have AJ Brown. So I think there will be a shift. Yeah, that was just like survival mode because like it's been kind of memory hold. Like you said, where the, the Eagles were actually extraordinarily pass heavy before that Bucks game. Yeah, too much. Was like, yeah. like in the middle of the game, it's pretty rare you can see an offensive philosophy change in real time. And like the second half of that Bucks game, you basically saw Nick Sirianni like going like George Costanza, like I'm just going to do the exact opposite. <laughs> and now we're yeah, running. The rest of the and then the next game, so they had the the Raiders game, and they tried to run early in that one. And then Miles Sanders got hurt, and they got behind. So then they started to pass the ball more. But it really – that Raiders game was kind of where it started. And after – I give them credit, though. A lot of teams won't just change their offensive no. philosophy to what works. And with that offensive line, I mean, they have a lot of power up there, and it makes sense to run the ball. Yeah, and that was a for – especially for a first-year head coach, that was a pretty gutsy decision for Nick Sirianni. So he does deserve a lot of credit for that. And – Dave, thank you so much for your time. Uh, it's just going to be another interesting Eagles season, I'm sure. Always. Uh, yeah. Who even knows? Yeah, we'll, we'll be talking about the Eagles this time next year. But excellent stuff. Thank you so much, Dave Zangaro, NBC Sports Philadelphia. Uh, what, what's your Twitter handle again? Um, uh, D Zangaro NBCS. Check him out on Twitter. Awesome stuff, Dave. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Denny, we'll be uh, back soon after this. The New York Daily News is Pat Leonard. But first, a message. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. It's one thing falling in love with a house, picturing yourself moving in and calling it home, and quite another navigating the world of price negotiating, mortgage lenders, and finding the budget that works best for you. An agent who's a Realtor can make understanding that world easier. Realtors have the expertise, access to proprietary data, and tools to help you get from imagining living somewhere to actually doing it. That's the kind of help we can provide. Because that's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. The Fantasy Football Expo presented by NBC Sports Edge is coming to Canton, Ohio this weekend. Join some of the top experts in the country, including myself, Craig Dennis Carter, Patrick Corain, Lawrence Jackson, Kyle Dvorak, many, many more. Zach Kruger is going to be there at the only true fantasy football expo in the country. Tickets are available at thefantasyfootballexpo.com. Use promo code NBCPASS at checkout to save $20. Danny will be joined by Mr. Pat Leonard in just a minute, but he's yep. a busy man he at uh, New York Giants, football Giants training camp, which by the dark secrets in New Jersey. 
It's not in New York. People yeah. people don't talk about this. No one has ever said that. So this yeah. is the first this is the first time hearing yeah. of it. We're gonna I've never seen that brought up like really weirdly in like Twitter arguments back and forth in my mentions. Yeah. Like uh I've seen like well, really weird territorial New York arguments in my Twitter mentions. Yeah, well remember when the Bills declared themselves New York's only team. Yeah, well a few weeks a few weeks ago I tweeted a picture. So you know how like the Bills are now or uh, the Giants are wearing like these throwbacks like yeah. from the late eighties, early nineties that happen to look exactly like the Bills current uniforms. Yes, yes. Like this I, I tweeted it says part of the culture change, Brian Dable is now making the Giants wear the Bills uniforms. And this set off like <laughs> oh. humongous, like sectarian New York violence. Yes, yes. And my mentions like who like actually was wearing whose uniforms. Like, well, I don't know if you heard we wore these in a Super Bowl uh guy. Right, right, right. And then right. some of those turned into like lots of very intense New York, New Jersey talk. Right. And my well, mentions. we first wore these in World War Two. Yeah. So <laughs> if you want to go back that far, then then it's us. It's yeah, us. If you want to really go back. Um, so yeah. maybe read we, a maybe read a book. Yeah, maybe read a book. While we wait for Pat, uh, we might as well start on the team that I said I didn't even know if we were gonna talk about. Uh the Washington Commanders yes. take right. command. Who but they're, they're taking command at training camp with I mean, they're getting dozens of fans, dozens, it's, tens, it's, of it's fans. Ten, tens of fans. Yeah. And they, I think they, they each pay a hundred dollars to get into the game. Yeah, they do. No, that's just for the ticket. The parking's $250. Of course. Uh, the hot, you remember the craziest Daniel Snyder fact was that you weren't even allowed. I don't know if this is still true. You weren't allowed to walk into FedEx field. Like if you somehow managed to get there without a vehicle, which I'm sure is like impossible they like oh, pay a fee. Yeah, I mean, there's no way. That's like the most impenetrable, yeah. like non-car fortress yeah. in America, probably. Well, they 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 have our our metro, our DC area metro, which runs into Maryland, obviously. Uh, it supposedly has a Landover stop, which is you know that's where you go <laughs> to to go to a Washington game. It's, it's nowhere close. Like yeah, it, it's not you know, it's like yes, it drops you in the state of Maryland, and good luck. <laughs> Good luck getting <laughs> to the stadium, guys. Yeah, but he, he he would charge you like a fee if you somehow managed to like walk into the stadium. I don't know if that's still true. But anyways, yeah, dozens of fans at Commander's Camp. And I mean, I guess we'll start with the Commanders. Terry McLaurin was the wide receiver 33 by average PPR points last season. Just, you know, not at all equal to his talent. Yeah. Just being kind of wasted and withered in this offense with guys like Taylor Heineke. Now it's Carson Wentz, who is not exactly known as the wide receiver whisperer. And I just, but so he got the vote of confidence, Terry McLaurin. He got the contract from the commanders. So they see what fantasy managers see and that they regard him as like elite wide receiver. But what can we realistically expect for a guy who was wide receiver 33 by average PPR points? Can can we see him get back in the top 24? Just what are your expectations for Terry McLaurin? Yes. Yes. So when, when Wentz, was was acquired by Washington. I wrote a piece with all sincerity. It was not a trolling piece at all. You know, uh, I say my trolling for Twitter that Wentz is is by almost every measure uh, an upgrade over Taylor Heineke, who was almost indescribably bad he last was. year. He he he. The meme. The harder you meme, the harder you fall at quarterback. And yeah. all the meme quarterbacks, Taylor Heineke's fall. Um, but maybe the hardest. My fit. My favorite thing, just as a quick aside, I'm going to get back to Wentz. My favorite thing on Washington area talk sports talk radio was, uh, and Zach, Zach Kruger, our, our colleague, told me about this. When a, a caller said, 
the commanders need to acquire Aaron Rodgers so that Taylor Heineke can sit behind him for three years <laughs> and, and learn from him and then take over. Wow. I don't <laughs> know if they realize Taylor Heineke's like 31. That's that's uh, good. You know, we are all we are all armchair GMs. Yeah, Taylor Heineke is 44 years old. Um no, and so Wentz it Wentz is, is an upgrade now, but we we have disturbing reports out of commanders. Uh, training camp where apparently their defensive line coach was fired out of nowhere today. Yeah, that was very bizarre. I mean, very commanders. It, yeah, right. But, Sam Sam Mills, the defensive line coach, has been working with Ron Rivera for ten years, and he was fired um, uh, over a difference of, of opinion. So uh, the Athletics Ben Standig reported recently that Carson Wentz has had quote an assortment pack of misfires. He says this quarterbacks throwing. Uh, two receivers against air <laughs> quarterbacks throwing two receivers against air basically with no defense is the equivalent of a layup line uh, yet Wentz routinely has brick oh, passes no. in various directions overthrowing or firing too far out in front has been the most common issue now this uh, you know goes hand in hand with how he operated in Indianapolis and his final two years in in Philadelphia the accuracy is a major major issue it makes me very concerned that McLaurin maybe can't, you know, maybe can get into the wide receiver two range, but man, I'm not excited at his ADP. With just drawing a number out of your head, like what sounds right for Terry McLaurin? Uh, you said probably not top 24. I'm like, if I say wide receiver 28, like what number yeah. to you sounds right? Yeah. For Terry I, mean, McLaurin? That, I think wide receiver 33 is, is like last year was pretty much as bad as it's going to get from McLaurin because he's really good. Like, you know, you put him in not a great offense, like a functional offense, and he's a top 12 receiver, I think. Um, but, you know, so I, I think that, you know, 28, 26, you know, I, and I'm not discounting 20, the receiver 24 that he, he could do that, you know, if they if they're forced into pass heavy game scripts and everything. But this is a team that their only success last year came when they established the hell, excuse my French, out, out of out of the out of the run. You know, and, and and they were they became a massively run heavy team for about five weeks, and McLaurin became a non factor in fantasy. I'm afraid of that once again this year. Well, yeah, and they want to be a three back backfield, which is always like a huge red flag. Like yeah. the well, establishment is coming, and I do think probably he'll probably stabilize, normalize a bit too. I think in that wide receiver 24 to 28 range, and we know that he's better than that. But I, so I think he will. I think you're right. Last year was probably like the Nadir for Terry McLaurin's fantasy production. I think he should have more spiked weeks this year. Um, he, he's had some injury issues, but he's like been playing hurt a lot the past few years. And this, I, by the way, I think maybe with Carson Wentz, I mean, it was all the way back in 2017, the torn ACL. But I, I think that began kind of like a snowballing yeah. with his body oh, where yeah. he's kind of almost seems like he's getting like Cam Newton syndrome to yes. me where his arm isn't, doesn't appear like quite as dead as Cam's did by the end, but there's just like not a lot on these pads. And like when he does put a lot on, it's kind of like he's having to like heave the ball. And it just seems like Carson Wentz is just not right physically. Yeah. And hasn't been for some time. I, I totally agree there. Uh, I will say as an aside to what Ben Standig reported on uh, Wentz's inaccuracy on intermediate throws, weirdly, he's been kind of good on the deep ball in training camp. And that's not a shock because he, he has, he has a strong arm. Uh, he he has been pretty good on deep balls and Taylor Heineke, as I wrote back in whatever March or whatever it was when they acquired Wentz, Taylor Heineke was by far the worst 
uh, deep ball thrower in the league last year. And just anecdotally, if you watched the football <laughs> team, as, as they were called, if you watched them at all last year, it was a nightmare. Every time he wound up, Heineke wound up to throw it downfield. You just knew something bad was going to happen. And indeed it did. He was the true. He's one of the ultimate that like, confidently steps into an interception. <laughs> yeah. like Baker Mayfield and Baker. We hope Baker is confidently stepping into like actually good throws this year. Cause talk about a guy who is not healthy. Uh, so I, yeah. the commanders, I just alluded to, it was just, they want this now to be a three man backfield where JD McKissick, I mean, like they moved heaven and earth to re-sign J.D. McKissick after he had literally signed with another team, essentially. So they wanted to keep the pass catcher, J.D. McKissick. They added another early down back in Brian Robinson, someone to cut in to Antonio Gibson's workload. And just has Antonio Gibson kind of become a a stay away for you, Denny? Did you draft him in the Apex League? Uh, Yes, I did, in fact. (laughs) And I'm here. Why were you okay? Why were you comfortable drafting? Yeah. Antonio Gibson, for the listeners who don't know me, Apex League is like a league where it's like a lot of the biggest names in the industry. It's like real like doggy dog yeah. type of league, but you were comfortable drafting Antonio Gibson. So maybe take me through that. I was, uh, and I'm here to defend myself. Uh, first of all, the Apex League is a league where it's so, it, it, wide receiver ADP is destroyed so quickly that you feel yeah. pretty good about getting, I don't know, Julio Jones in the third round. Well, I just got Darius Slayton in the ninth round. Yeah. <laughs> Feeling really good about that. Diami Brown, I've got him in the queue. I really hope he stays there. It's an exaggeration, but just barely. So, (laughs) so you have you have running back ADPs plummet really in in you know most of these apex drafts. I got yeah, I got Antonio Gibson in the eighth round um, because I felt like at that point he's worth he's worth a gamble. Sixth round, I was looking at him and said no, it's, it's too early. Seventh round, I started getting interested. Eighth round, I said okay. All right, fine, Uncle. I cried. I cried, Uncle, for the Zoomers out there. Who knows what that means? Who know what that means? And I and I took him because you know so at some point talent has to play some factor. Am I am I wrong here? I mean, he's really he's really excellent. He's an excellent pass catcher. He's a good runner. I know what they did with Robinson. I know that they, like you said, moved up heaven and earth to for some reason bring back McKissick. But uh, but I, I'm I'm okay with Gibson there. I I think that he can be serviceable for fantasy purposes at a certain point. I mean, the eighth round, there's almost like no downside to that where so you said talent has the kind of matter, but also it's like role has the kind of, and like, even if the role is decreasing, I mean, I think we can still be pretty confident in like 10 to 15 weekly touches for Antonio Gibson. That, you know, that's probably like his yeah. floor for touches. So it's hard to see him dropping below 10 touches, which would, of course, not trying to undersell like that. That would be a disaster. Right. But, it 10 would. to 15 he would still be fantasy like viable and 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 i i also think you know just the the chaos of the regular season the um known unknowns the unknown unknowns i don't know how that check say out it, the but, errol morris documentary on yeah. donald rumsfeld and yeah. uh but you know th- that antonio gibson could fall into uh, like a like a more solid more predictable workload than than we think you know than we're anticipating um, and we this is the same guy who was going in the second round last year. Excitedly. We were excitedly drafting him and you weren't, you weren't. No, I know. No. I know. Because I've, been you, out, I've been out basically have, his entire career. Kind of like CEH two yeah, big yeah. victories for me. You are, um, against exciting running backs. Yeah. I get that. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, and, and you, and you know, that that's usually the way to go. I am, uh, I'm a sucker well, for a guy whose ADP drops six rounds in one off season. So I'm good with Gibson, even in the seventh round, you know, in, in like more normalized leagues. Do we just 
do we see any chance that Gibby like basically falls into like the Chase Edmonds zone where like between the twenties he's getting the ball? Yeah. But he, you know, we we know he's not the primary cast budget, but that's just like a fact. Like if you work that hard to bring back JD McKissick, Antonio yeah. Gibson's not gonna be the primary pass catcher. How truly worried are we about Brian Robinson maybe stealing goal line carries? Or is that really is that getting like even though he is a third round pick, it's like there's some real draft capital for yeah. Brian Robinson. But is this is, is that kind of getting into like scared of our own shadow territory? I think a little, a little bit. I think Brian Robinson has been uh, maybe hyped a, a little, a little much over the past month or two. I know, the, and camp reports say he looks fine, and there's nothing, there's no, you know, yeah, red flags. Yeah, 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 you know, he's he's a running back. He's good. Uh, and um, uh, but this is the same team that gave goal line carries to Peyton Barber Ooh, over Antonio Gibson. Peyton Barber, who statistically, I'm sure he's a fine man. Statistically, Peyton Barber is one of the worst running backs to ever play in recent football. in recent years. So, no, no, ever, ever. That's fine. Uh, I know it's 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 truly like his numbers are off the charts. That and the and the Washington franchise chose to give him the ball on third and short and goal line situations, which I will never recover from. And, and so that so that yeah, I guess that is that that is something to think about. Denny, you like to find kind of down ballot, so to speak, players to be interested in. Do any of those exist with the commanders? Like there is like oh. Diami Brown is a guy we loved last year. There's just no no redraft oh, no. case whatsoever for Diami Brown. Like you tweeted the other day. I mean, Curtis Samuel's groin injury is now like in its second decade. <laughs> we don't really know what's going on there. Is there anyone we like in like say standard redraft fantasy, like a 12 team league? beyond Antonio Gibson, beyond Terry McLaurin. I mean, are we excited at all about Jahan Dotson? Are we excited about J.D. McKissick? I don't, is there anyone beyond like the obvious commanders to be interested in in standard 12-team fantasy? Curtis Samuel sounds fun. You know, it's the slot, it's outside, it's the backfield, he's returning. He's doing it all, right? They're going to get on the ball. It's a situation, what did they say about uh, the uh, my, uh, Tavon Austin, we're going to give him the ball 25 times. The web back 12 to 24 times per game. Yeah. So they created a new position and then the widest possible touch. Yeah. Like window. And I mean, could, we're saying 10 to 50 touches a game for Tavon. We're the second team to have Tavon Austin. Yeah. And we think and the big problem was that uh, he wasn't getting 10 to 50 touches a game. So Kurt, as fun as that sounds, I, I, I don't think that you can, draft Curtis Samuel with any confidence that he'll fall into an every week role. I, I do, I do think that, that um, Dotson is, is the the guy, like if there's going to be a second pass catching the fantasy relevant dude on this, in this offense, it's, it's probably going to be him. I've seen comparisons made to Terry McLaurin himself in the way that Dotson plays. That's good because, because McLaurin has been, like I said, excellent on on every on every level deep intermediate everything breaking tackles yards after the catch so i i guess dotson and deeper leagues might be interesting but man this this offense just seems like no fun at all the offense is no fun but i'll say Jahan dotson even if it's like a 12 team league just with your buddies it's not like the sharpest group or whatever like uh you shouldn't let a first round real life wide receiver go undrafted uh, it's just like a mistake made over and over again yeah. kind of ignoring because we hate the situation, but he's the number 16 overall pick. And like, it was kind of like the same thing happened last year with Kadarius Tony. Like we didn't even like consider drafting Kadarius Tony because we just hated yeah. the situation. It didn't make any sense. We didn't like the coach. 
but then you know then injuries got in the way but when Kadarius Tony actually plays like oh that's why this guy was a top 20 pick like he's really really good and it happened with Odell Beckham exactly I was gonna say Odell Beckham too number 12 over a pick and that year I mean he quite literally didn't even have an ADP like Odell Beckham and then had one of the greatest rookie seasons of all time despite not playing the first four games and just don't overthink the situation so much when a guy has that kind of real life draft yeah, capital. Sure. And sure, you, you you might not end up you might end up cutting him really quickly, but like if you're kind of like sifting through late round flyers, let the guy being a real life first round pick be a compelling tiebreaker. I'd say that's a great that's a great point. You could do way worse than than follow that kind of logic. And so yeah, we'll be right back after this. Prep for your draft with the latest player rankings, projections, and more in the NBC Sports Edge Fantasy Football Draft Guide. It's powered by Roto-World, the premier source for player news and fantasy information. Take advantage of our preseason special and get the draft guide for only $5 when you use promo code DRAFTGUIDE at checkout on NBCSportsEdge.com slash DRAFTGUIDE. Pat Leonard from the New York Daily News will be joining us soon to talk about the New York Giants, but Denny... Mm-hmm. Uh, the Dallas Cowboys, and we might yeah. have to sand, we might have to like kind of sandwich yes. uh, the New York Giants talk with some Cowboys talk. Yeah, the Giants are used to that. We're like, you know, they're in the they're in the big market. They're supposed to be like one of the biggest teams in the world, and then everyone just talks to the Cowboys even when they're worse. Yes, it's, it's true. So we might be bookending our Giants talk with the Dallas Cowboys, but I, I take it you regret to inform on Zeke Zeke Good question mark Denny. I I do not take pleasure. In, in reporting this, I am I am pro Tony Pollard and take no pleasure in reporting that Ezekiel Elliott was actually quite good last year before he, let me check my notes, uh, yes, tore his PCL. <laughs> and uh, yeah, uh, I have a PCL issue and it hurts. And I don't yeah, know. By the way, are you still like faking this injury ahead of the, the expo? Yeah, no, it's it's not good. It's not good. I, <laughs> okay, I, quite, don't play. Yeah, <laughs> don't, don't play if you have I could be the quarterback. Injury. You don't have yeah. to be an athlete to be, be the quarterback. You actually have a pretty solid arm. You should be the quarterback. I'm, I'm that's I'm I'm lobbying Lawrence to be the quarterback. So, uh, yeah, yeah. So, I, I wrote about this in, in four splits that matter for fantasy football, which you can find on NBCSportsEdge.com. Uh, w- one of the splits was before and after Ezekiel Elliott's week four injury. Um, you, you can you can check out you know exactly how it breaks down, but basically, he was way better than average and not elite in any, in any definition of elite, but way better than average before the injury and was abysmal after the injury. And it makes sense. It makes sense. Like a guy with that much mileage on him, that kind of knee injury, no more explosion, no more ability to cut. Um, you know, it, it, it makes total sense. So if he is fully healed, which he should be, uh, then I think that he makes a lot of sense in certain, in certain builds, certain draft builds as a fourth round pick. And what I mean by that is if you spend your first three on maybe like two wide receivers and an elite tight end, Zeke's not the worst fourth rounder. And, and I can't believe I'm saying uh, that. Yeah. The lawyers have heard all they need to hear. I know. I know <laughs> you've been fired. I, 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 it's fine. I get it. <laughs> so that's why I'm gonna have to talk to Pat Leonard by myself because you've been fired. Um, now check out Denny's article on Zeke. It was pretty interesting. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. You can't put our hand, can't bury your heads in the sand on Zeke. Right. And and another thing about burying, burying your, your head is you look at Jerry Jones and Mike McCarthy, who every day have something positive to say. He's a cornerstone, keystone, this, that, foundational back, foundational human being in the state of Texas. 
everything, <laughs> everything positive you could possibly. And that matters. We have to account for that. Like they are going, especially Jerry Jones is going to look for any reason to keep playing Ezekiel Elliott as the primary back. That doesn't mean that Tony Pollard won't, will be useless for fantasy, but man, it's uh, <clears throat> it puts a ding in, you know, in, in his, I think in his potential, uh, if the team is just completely unwilling to go away from Zeke. Zeke is going to turn Texas Cowboys blue. Let's check out Denny's article on Ezekiel Elliott uh, on NBCSportsEdge.com. And we'll finish off the show with a little Cowboys talk. But now it is our pleasure to welcome in the New York Daily News is Pat Leonard. You can find him on Twitter at PLeonardNYDN. Pat, it is yet another summer of change in East Rutherford. New coach, new GM this time. Uh, not a new quarterback though. And so we might as well just start big picture. How is Daniel Jones? He didn't have his fifth year team option picked up. This is a contract year. How is he progressing? Has he looked up to the challenge of Brian Dable's system? Or do you get the sense that maybe they're scaling things back for Daniel Jones? Just what is the state of Danny Dimes right now? Hey, Pat, Danny, thanks for having me. No, it's a good question. Um, I would say coming into camp that Dable and Shane tamped down expectations on what should be expected from this year's team. Obviously, that doesn't bode well for Daniel Jones. They are going to give him all the tools they hope in the offense with Brian Dable and actually Mike Kafka calling the plays, at least to start the preseason. It looks like that's how it's going to go in the regular season. They want to give him all of those tools to succeed. He will be their starter week one in Nashville against the Titans. And actually, they're kind of they're kind of uh, being extremely cautious with weapons like Kadarius Tony, Kenny Galladay, all these guys who are often hurt specifically because they're just trying to get them to week one. So they're on the field for this guy to complete a pass or two. Uh, but, you know, the reality, Pat, I mean, you're kind of implying it in your question is like, you know, this guy has been in so many offenses. It was a leading only... question. <laughs> yeah, but no, but you know, he's, he's been in so many offenses in four years and I'm sure you've talked to people and you know yourself, like this isn't an easy offense to learn either. And so, you know, having Josh Allen helps an offense be a top of the NFL offense. And it's going to be hard for the Giants to get it all together right away and for Jones to succeed. So for any kind of so Daniel Jones, like one of his biggest bugaboos and something we like Denny and I have kind of obsessed over is that like when he actually does pass downfield, his numbers are good. Like the advanced metrics are good, but he does it like so infrequently. You know, that was the kind of thing that made him like a horrible stylistic fit with Kenny Galladay. I mean, do you see any like effort to get Daniel Jones to throw down the field or the summer? Or is that kind of thing hard to discern from just training camp practices? I would say this, Pat. Um, they run the same offense, and Tyrod throws the ball down the field a lot more than Daniel does. Oh my goodness! So I don't, I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's that they're getting different plays. I think the quarterback's making a different decision. Um. <laughs> He, made, you know, he likes that's the decision he likes to make. <laughs> that's how I view it. And, you know, yeah. I do think Dan, listen, Daniel is diplomatic. And I do think there have been times in his career where things have gone wrong and it wasn't, it was the receiver running the wrong route or an offensive lineman missing something and he takes it on himself. And so, you know, kind of like Eli Manning before him, he's like that kind of guy. So it hasn't always been on him, but the reality is he's up and down right now in camp the same way he's always been. And I think you make an interesting point, too. It's like coming in from the draft, I think it was assumed that Daniel was, if anything, smart 
and that maybe the physical traits weren't where some other guys were, but he can make up with it with all these intangibles. Sometimes it's the opposite with him. He actually, I think, does have the physical traits, but it's the decision-making mm. that isn't always there. And honestly, especially in the red zone. Uh, but, you know, it, to your point, they have to open those opportunities for him, and then he just has to kind of pull the trigger. Uh, statistically, Daniel Jones it has been really, really good on passes that travel 20 yards down the field or more in, you know, in his career. So I, I am, I'm surprised that uh, it's not, it's not happening more. In fact, I read that uh, Tyrod Taylor was briefly put in for Daniel Jones after some, some frustration. Is that right? Yeah, Denny. So uh, yeah, you're on it. So um, yesterday for first four plays with Daniel Jones and the first team offense went poorly. So Dable turns out wanted to tell something to Jones, but he said he didn't want to stop the practice. So he sends Tyrod in to run. Creates one an alibi. Play. Yeah. So <laughs> Tyrod runs one play. He completes a pass to Tony, which by the way, was the first completion in five plays. <laughs> and then he puts Jones right back in. So we can accept that. Listen, he really wanted Jones to say, I think you're not seeing this. He said today it was some sort of read that he wanted to communicate to him. But we all know, and Dable knows as a head coach, what it means, right? Yeah. When in front of everybody, you put number right. two out in front of number eight. Yes, absolutely. And uh, one other note on, on Daniel Jones, I, I wanted to ask you about, you know, his rushing prowess and and uh, that part of his game, because, you know, for fantasy purposes, we are very interested in any quarterback who's willing to, to take off out of the pocket and gain yards on the ground. It's very valuable for fantasy scoring. Daniel Jones has given that to us. despite Some glimpses the, of it. It's, it's well, in his rookie season, I should say, um, for sure. And despite the trip in the open field on uh, in, in prime time, we're trying to forget that still. But uh, it, do, you, do you think that that will continue to be part of, of his game or will there be any sort of, you think, design for him to use his legs like it that? It could be a bigger part because this is Dable, you know, who saw how dangerous that yes. can be with Josh Allen. Yeah, no, we actually saw already a designed quarterback sweep on the goal line. We that would saw, not have happened under Joe Judge. <laughs> <laughs> we saw um, – I, I will say, too, that when they are struggling in their pass – when they're passing the ball and they're struggling out of the shotgun, it seems like they you know, they either call or Jones decides himself he's going to tuck it and run just to get some momentum and get some good feeling back. There's definitely that – he's not Josh Allen, but there's definitely that same built-in freedom for Jones to use his legs when he wants – whether it's called or it's his is his own decision. There's also a lot of, as you guys know, there's a lot of misdirection. So sometimes Wandale Robinson's in, at running back, sometimes Saquon's back there, sometimes Kadarius Tony's back there. They're all going in motion. So I think that benefits Daniel Jones as a runner because he likes keeping it, first of all. And for every one time he hands it off to one of those guys who, let's face it, all three of those players are someone you have to commit somebody to if they have the ball. So I think that does benefit Jones from a fantasy standpoint and as a rusher to kind of have the ability, hopefully to have one fewer defenders running with him when he pulls. That's an interesting uh, little nugget there to, that he's getting that freedom, at least in this new system. I mean, no one would have begrudged like the new coaching staff, like, you yeah, know, sorry, like uh, you haven't earned the right to have like any kind of like decision-making freedom with what you've shown right. the first three years. So that is interesting. I mean, it's smart when you have an athlete like Daniel Jones. I will, I will say, though, I, I'm glad you brought this up, too, because so they practiced in the stadium one time so far last Friday night. And the first play, you know, the fir his first read's not open. 
he kind of pumps and the protection's starting to break down a little bit and he rolls and kind of flushes out to the left and they weren't playing live, but if he, they had been, he would have gotten smashed really? and he was running right into a big hit. Yeah. And so we've seen this before, right? So the freedom is good, but as you're saying, like, is that a little bit of a surprise you're giving them at? Because if he doesn't show that he warrants trust there and like that one play I'm citing, we've already seen now in, in a, in a thud practice period that he kind of ran himself right into a big hit. Oh, so not what you like to see, but, uh, you know, it's still only August 9th. So he's got some time. So Pat, you know, Giants fans are probably most fixated on Daniel Jones, but fantasy players are probably most fixated on Saquon Barkley. Yeah. You know, he's like, he's just a fantasy superstar waiting to happen. Hmm. If he could ever stay healthy, how has he looked in this new offense? We know Brian Dable, was famous for abandoning the run in Buffalo. He might not have that luxury with the Giants. Uh, Saquon Barkley's pass catching, though, could hopefully be a big part of the offense. Just how is Saquon looking in the new system? And is he going to catch as many passes as like fantasy managers are kind of dying for? Yes. Yeah. And he look he looks very good from a from a physical standpoint and his conditioning. He looks as good as I've seen him probably since his rookie year, as far as prepared to gain yards after contact to be a little bit faster and quicker than he's been in the last couple of years where I felt like he was, listen, he's already really super humanly strong. He doesn't need to bulk up, but I do think that after his rookie year, he got bigger, but he didn't need to be, you know, he, he just needs to be fast and he's already got, got that strength. And so that's what I see from him. You know, Brian Dable actually really liked the play the other day that kind of started the fight where it was a thud period <laughs> And the defense got angry, but Dable really didn't have a problem with Barkley kind of lowering his shoulder pads and running Aaron Robinson over. His take on it was like the Same. defender needs to be ready to thud. And so, you know, you have to be encouraged because Barkley hasn't really broken many tackles recently in live NFL games in general. He does look very good. And as from a receiving standpoint, he lines up in the slot as often as he lines up in the backfield, it seems. Now, you know, some days we see heavy run period. Someday we see heavy pass periods and shotgun and 11 formation. But when they go three wide, which they do often, it seems, and I know obviously they went three and four with Dable's offense in Buffalo and even going to Kansas City with Kafka, Saquon will sometimes start in the backfield, go out to the slot. He'll just start in the slot. He'll start out wide and run a route out wide. We're seeing a lot more of that. And let's be honest too, it's kind of smart to take him out of pass protection situations because he's not good at it. Right. And so, you know, if you want him on the field, but you can't have him pass protect, if Dable's content having him as a receiver and being on the field instead of somebody else, you know, I think you're utilizing him the way that he should be, frankly. If uh, Saquon Barkley struggles with injuries again this year, and we're, we're hoping, of course, that does not happen. I, I wanted to get your take on who might fill in as the primary ball carrier in, in this offense. I see Matt Breida is listed as the RB2 on the depth chart. Do you think it would be Breida? It's a good question, Denny, and it's an, I think it's an unanswered one. First of all, Breida's already hurt. Doesn't look like he's playing in the first preseason game. It's kind of his um, thing, too. Yeah. yeah, we don't know exactly what that is. And really, it's, it's very thin back there. I mean, they already worked out. Uh, Devontae Booker, who was their leading rusher right. last year, they didn't sign him. But I actually missed that. I mean, <laughs> That's not a good sign. In, they lack depth in a lot of positions. But I think this is what would excite you if you're a fantasy owner. And from a dynasty perspective, too, Wandale Robinson 
Mm. You know, I can see why they drafted him because, first of all, look at the future. Galladay's gone after this year. Right. Tony is unreliable. You know, he's been held out of a lot of 11 on 11 periods. He might have gotten dinged up today. We're not really sure in a jog Uh-oh. through. Um, Juan Dale, though, is here for the now and the future. He runs with the first team offense regularly. They will put him in the backfield instead of Saquon on plays, even when Saquon is on the field. He played running back as well as receiver in college. I think if, if I'm a Giants, if I'm a fantasy owner, mm-hmm. I honestly think that the ceiling is highest, maybe even this year, for Wandale. Wow. Because Saquon's going to take attention away, and now Saquon's going to get the ball. But certainly if you're a dynasty player, number 17 on the Giants offense is somebody that you need to take a real close look at. This is uh, this is interesting. I uh, I feel a tingle in my, in my- <laughs> and that's just like his ADP was. He's already like kind of like one of the like under the radar guys. People have been obsessed with in best ball drafts and underdog. I think you just like poured a little jet fuel on that. That's yeah. Really, really I mean, so so here. what? And tell me if I'm if I'm wrong here. You're you're saying that possibly if Barkley were to miss time, that Robinson would absorb at least some of that backfield work. I do think so. I think that the offense is designed for both Robinson and Tony to carry the ball as even as running backs, not necessarily just as a jet sweep from wide receiver. I will say and couch it with they've already shown that they know they need help at running back. The kind of the outside the box, like midseason, maybe the guy starts picking up steam guy if he stays mm-hmm. healthy and earns their trust is Jay Sean Corbin, the undrafted rookie. Um, he is the same. He's kind of in that fast mold of a kind of an outside runner like a Matt Breda, but you know, he's, but he's young and still learning. You can see them grooming him for maybe something down the line, but it's right. really Barkley, Breda, Antonio Williams, and Jay Sean Corbin right now. And Gary Brightwell, who Brightwell doesn't have that same kind of burst. So yes, Brightwell could factor in, but yes, the answer to your question is yes. I think Robinson would absorb even more touches if Barkley was out. That's uh, thank thank you, thank you for that information. I think we should I just end the show there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, this, is, this is good. This is fantastic stuff. Denny, uh, well, Kadarius yeah. Tony. So you mentioned Kadarius Tony, Pat, who he's just like one of the the loves of fantasy players' lives because uh, of what he showed. It was you know, as you alluded to, quite limited action last year. So many. It's kind of like small injury issues, but missed so many snaps, missed so many games last year. But yeah, like the stop start ability looked like truly rare from Kadarius Tony. Uh, but you know, then there were brief offseason rumors he could be traded. That seemed almost like designed to kind of like wake him up a little bit, get his attention. Mm. So just how is he fitting in with the new coaching staff and the new system? No, it's a good question. Uh well, they are, I mean, they're dropping his workload dramatically. Like there's a period of every practice where Tony and Galladay, while other guys are doing harder work, individual work, they kind of just stand there with Mike Groh, the receivers coach, and Cade Knox, an offensive assistant. They go over plays. They kind of have a catch. You know, these are two guys coming off injuries in the spring. Tony had a, a knee procedure that he's kind of working back from. So they both really didn't get much spring work. They did They did call a team. That was actually my report. They did call teams. Uh, I couldn't. I thought that was you. So I wanted to label that as you. But then live, I was, like, was that Pat? Uh, yeah, no problem. No, no. So they did call teams, but the issues he had here last year, people are aware of them, and so they were. I'll try to summarize this briefly. 
injuries, maybe even some that some guys thought they could play through, but he uh-huh. wasn't, um, you know, um, you know, got COVID twice, uh, was out such an extended period of time at a holdout as a rookie, essentially a lack of reliability. So then what happened was he started this offseason by not showing up for the offseason program. And he wasn't there, I think, almost for the first full month. And shockingly, after I reported that, he shows up about 24 a, hours later, ready to instantaneous. rock. Instantaneous. Right? <laughs> so, um, but how is he fitting in? The answer is now that he's still on the team, they are trying to use his skill set in, let's face it, if you could pick two offenses in the NFL that Tony might excel in, you'd probably have picked the Bills and the Chiefs. And here they are melding them together. You know, I think the opportunities are there. We've seen him and Wandale Robinson both in wildcat formations at times. We know Tony was a high school quarterback. He can throw. He can spin it. He can throw the ball 60 yards easy. Wow. Um, really? So the question is, can he win to that? Yeah, he's a freak, man. Wow. He is a freak. He really I, – I tell this to people all the time, and I know – not to compare them as players because Lamar's an MVP, but Lamar Jackson is the only other guy I've ever seen move – the way that Tony does where like, it's almost like no matter who is guarding him, his, um, his way, his quickness and ability to change direction is so unpredictable that uh-huh. even if you've seen it on tape a million times, it's just different seeing it in person. So he's super talented. Um, but even we just saw it today at practice, like it was a jog through. He's already been taken out of 11 on 11, three of their previous 10 days to rest mm-hmm. his body. And it looked like today that he was a part of it. And then he wasn't, he was kind of getting some attention. So to describe him as delicate, I would say is yeah. accurate and fair. Um, and then, so that's why they're trying to be so careful with him because they yeah. see the high ceiling, but from a fantasy perspective, like he's just not reliable to stay in the lineup and in on the field. It's almost like a, a late round flyer on a guy who you could, or even a free agent pickup who you could pop in and could, just have a, a crazy game like he did against the Cowboys last year, but then you don't know if he's going to play the next week. He does. He, there was always an issue last year with, with Tony, except for that, I guess, two game stretch, even that the third game where I think he caught like four or five passes on the first drive against the Rams. And then, and then, yep. and then was hurt and then never, you know, didn't come back in. So I'm, I'm still recovering from that. Uh, and, and I think uh, you, you're right in saying that it, you know, I he as a player, electric, but also a little bit delicate. Yeah, Kenny, uh, Kenny Galladay, folks. Yes. Uh, so uh, uh, on the other side, the formation with Kenny Galladay, obviously one of the biggest disappointments in all football last year. His skill set really doesn't seem to mesh with Daniel Jones at all. And what you're what you said a few minutes ago about Jones uh, being reluctant to throw it downfield doesn't sound like that's changed much. Uh, you know, what can, how can the Giants, I guess, uh, use Galladay this season, uh, you know, more effectively than last year? Trying to think of something nice to say. <laughs> say they have... can't, question mark? I mean, yeah. if they can't, they can't, yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. So he's been, dis- he's been disappointing. I mean, coming off of such a disappointing year, you would have expected him to come in ready to rock and looking like a different person. Now, I have no, I really don't know. It's unusual to not be able to nail this down. I don't know what the injury is that he had in the spring that suddenly kept him out really all spring. He wouldn't say whether it was a lingering thing from last season or new. 
it felt like something that cropped up and was lower body, like a hamstring or something like that. But we, we, we just don't know. But the bottom line is when I tell you Saquon Barkley came in looking like, you know, his old self, his top condition self. When I look at Kenny Galladay, I see a guy who still doesn't look like he's running at full speed, still looks like he's kind of running in sand a little bit, isn't getting the separation. And I know that his skill always was contested catches. And he did have one really good day in camp. At the, I think it was Sunday or maybe late last week where they gave him a rest day. And then the next day he came out and he was winning jump balls, uh, you know, on the sideline and he caught a touchdown and was really had better energy. But frankly, like Colin Johnson is severely outplaying Kenny Galladay here. You know, Colin with two L's Johnson. I was and, gonna say the double L. And he's and he's a six foot six receiver who, like, if they weren't wearing their numbers, you would mistake him for Galladay standing out there flanked out wide. And so they have a guy with the same body type who is fitting into what they're running. So Galladay doesn't look the part of what this type of offense usually has, but there's a guy with his same body type running circles around him right now. So that's kind of where he's at. Yeah, that's I just wonder if he's this. You, know, you say he's contested catch guy. He was older when he entered the league, relatively speaking. I just wonder if his body's already breaking down. And not to make you speculate on that, but uh, no, no. I was. I'm trying to think of how to say something. He. I don't know if I don't see the same fire in him that I would that I would like to see all the time, and I I like him as a competitor. Like when they when he get when he gets into it. Like when they beat the Saints last year in New Orleans, he made a really tough gamer catch down the stretch of that game on a slant, um, you know, took contact right after the ball got there, um, kind of extended the play, got them. I think it may, may have been on a field goal drive to tie it, send it to overtime. But like that was the kind of play where it was like, OK, I see why you signed this guy. I see why you want him. You, you see he can put you on his back, but he's only really done it that once and it's hard to look at how he's entered this and say that he has any kind of fire to prove people wrong. He says he does, but he's not showing it. So, well, wasn't got to say, I wasn't expecting your overarching Kenny Galladay point to be, he's getting outplayed by Colin Johnson. So, uh, former, you know, former Jaguar is great. Colin yeah. Johnson. So not sure what to do with that bit of information, but we've taken up a lot of your time already, Pat, but just real quick before you get out of here would be remiss to not ask about two guys Fourth round rookie uh, tight end Daniel Bellinger is being labeled as clearly the starting tight end by many in the Giants media. Does that yeah. match your perception? Could that translate to maybe a meaningful pass catching role? And then, and then just Darius Slayton, like second and third team offense, it sounds like. Does it look like his time is done in New York? I'll go backward there. Yeah, it looks it looks like Slayton. Slayton doesn't look like he's going to make the team. Uh, we still have a ways to go here. Guys could get hurt. He could pick it up. But it, I say this, like I, I wrote in Sunday's Daily News, like at least the feeling I get around the league is that like people know he's a he can be a pretty good player. But I'm not sure the Giants and Joe Shane could really have any leverage to get anything because people are expecting him to get released. Right. So say like, well, we could get him for free. Why would we pay anything? So that's kind of where that is. I mean, he ran a lot of snaps with Davis Webb in the third team offense in that Friday night practice. That's kind of how you have to know. He did have a really good day the other day with Tyrod in the second offense, but um, it doesn't look good, you know, um, but we'll see. And then Daniel Bellinger, 
he is the clear as you watch practices day in and day out. He's their clear number one tight end. Um, and there, it's a really thin room. I mean, Ricky Seals Jones. It is a really thin room. Mm-hmm. Ricky Seals Jones disappeared off the face of the earth. Like he's clearly dealing with some sort of ailment. I mean, he, you know, he he was dialed back in the spring. Might have practiced once in camp. I actually talked to him. I think it was after the second practice. And then he kind of said, yeah, we're just competing this and that. And we haven't seen him since. And then, you know, they have a bunch of young players kind of kind of battling it out. Andre Miller, the undrafted rookie out of Maine, was starting to assert himself. Maine as a school. <laughs> exactly. He was starting to assert himself. And then uh, he just broke his arm two days ago. And so now they have Jeremiah Hall, a guy from Oklahoma, kind of playing that fullback slash tight end. Bellinger is the number one tight end. Uh, with Chris Myrick competing, though he's been really struggling. So will it be pass-catching opportunities? Hmm, Probably yeah. not, question mark. <laughs> you know, he. I'll say this. You know, I, I actually told him this today. Like, if I were picking a starting five in a basketball tournament, he'd be my power forward. I mean, <laughs> he looks the part. And there, there's no doubt about it. But um, will he be a focal point? No. Do they hope that he could be? Because he is a really big target, especially in the red zone. That's where I would say from a fantasy perspective, like hopefully he becomes red zone, especially if Galladay's not reliable down there. You know, you, you need a big body like Bellinger. Yeah, maybe he could dunk a few balls on teams that don't defense the seam well. I mean, it, he's, it sounds like he's going to get a full complement of pass routes. And, that, you know, that that could make him somewhat interesting for fantasy. I'm trying to paint a, paint a rosy picture. Okay? <laughs> no, for sure. And also because they run a lot of – they look like they're going to run a lot of 11 personnel – you know, a lot of times, often, most often, it seems right. he would be the only tight end on the field. Well, Pat, really, really great stuff. Thank you so much for taking the time. We know it's super busy during track. Again, I Pat Curran or uh, Tom Curran from NBC Sports Boston claimed he wasn't even that busy right now. He's like, oh, that's <laughs> like NFL. Uh, but I've got the sense you guys are pretty busy. And oh yeah, the cushy current job. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. So, no no, really, thank really, you for having me on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, really Thanks, appreciate it. And by the way, you're, you're just uh, the bright lights in New York are not too much for Pat Leonard, New York, New York Daily News, at P Leonard, NYDN on Twitter. Always awesome stuff. Pat, thank you so much for taking time to join us. Thanks, Pat. Thanks, Denny. Take care. Awesome stuff from Pat Leonard. And been an awesome show so far. We're almost yeah. done. Got us a little more Cowboys talk. Can't only talk about Zeke. Uh, can I, talk. I'm still, I'm still reeling. Over this, uh, over what he said about Wandell Robinson. Well, he's, well, he's he had a lot to reel about. Positive Wandell, kind of negative Tony. Uh, you know, the very negative Kenny Galladay sounds very concerning. Yeah, I, well, I'm Kenny not G. shocked. I'm no, kidding. I know. Yeah, the the Galladay signing was probably the worst in like the last ten years. And I, I do think you know it's just like my pet theory from far away. I mean, and also just based though on injury reports, his body yeah. just seems to be breaking down. Uh, big receivers really don't age, age well extremely and poorly we still see, yes we see this all the time and galladay like you said entered the league late he had you know, what two two really productive seasons in detroit and then it started going downhill but the, the robinson thing i mean i feel like you know his ability to to possibly play in the backfield if you know barkley misses time man that that, that gives him whole new value yeah that's a that's a really 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 interesting one to file away the longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards the longest field goal ever missed also 76 yards why bring this up because knowing your limits matters 
both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Is this house a good price compared to others in the area? Are prices going up or down? If I don't make an offer right this very moment, will I miss my chance? These are just some of the questions a home buyer might ask. And these are the sorts of questions an agent who is a Realtor can help answer. Because Realtors have the expertise, data, and access to specialty training to help you navigate the process of buying a home. They provide support, guidance, and have your back every step of the way. That's what Realtors do, because that's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com, to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Denny with the Cowboys, who do we like as a pass catcher behind CeeDee Lamb, mm-hmm. if anybody? Michael Gallup has said he's not going to be ready for the opener. Uh, Jalen Tolbert is apparently starting. I mean, we like Dalton Schultz. He's the tight end six on Yahoo. He's the tight end six and underdog. So kind of like the Sharps and like the more the, the more conventional crowds are kind of converging mm-hmm. on Dalton Schultz. So who do we like as Cowboys pass catchers behind CeeDee Lamb? I didn't know that they had any receivers behind CD land. So I'm, I'm, if you, if you give me a moment, I'm going to do some. Okay, research. Yeah. Here Cowboys ESPN roster. <laughs> Depth oh, chart. Yeah. Um, no, uh, Noah Brown is sort of interesting. I, you know, last year when the, I guess the Cowboys had lost to Mari Cooper, uh, CD lamb and Michael Gallup, I think for a time on Thanksgiving against the Raiders. Were they Noah lost Brown. as a great yeah. Thanksgiving American tradition. Yes, uh, and a very good game. They, it was they, a good game. It, so Brown stepped in as a starter, ran 92% of the routes, um, caught six of his nine targets for 53 yards. I know that's not anything to write home about, but you know everything looked solid. Otherwise, he, he drew a route on 20% of his um, pass routes in that game that was second only to Cedric Wilson, who was weirdly dominant in that game. And then weirdly given a very big contract by the Miami yeah, Dolphins. Just uh, not not quite making quite Makes much sense, sense there. But uh, yeah, I think I think Noah Brown would slot in nicely as the wide receiver too, but probably the third pass catcher in the pecking order behind obviously Lamb uh, and Schultz. So, you know, really, really not sure exactly where his targets are going to come from, but I would point to him as the guy. I mean, do you share any of the – the, you know, the Karain, Kyle Dvorak, sicko enthusiasm for Jalen Tolbert, or do you just think it's kind of like we're getting out of our skis with that one? He is a third rounder, so it's not like he's like a yeah. sixth rounder. Yeah. Any it's, interest in Jalen Tolbert? Uh, yes, yes, so, so, some interest. And honestly, like, would I take Tolbert over Noah Brown? Uh, you know, I might. Well, I, I would say you probably should. I mean, yeah, but, <laughs> right? but like, I, mean, I, I feel not on like... some upside. I mean, I don't know where the upside is really going to come from from Noah Brown. No, I mean, you know, career long wise, obviously you, you're you're looking at Tolbert as the guy, but from a, an immediate uh, impact standpoint, and how or where you're going to be able to use these guys in fantasy as like a desperation flex in deep deep formats or something, I could see Brown being, you know, possibly a, a more reliable 
option who who runs you know who runs more routes as part of the uh, a two wide receiver set for as long as Gallup is out now. Um, so I, I do think he's being overlooked a little bit. That is fair. He caught almost twenty passes last year, so it's not like he was someone who played and like never caught the ball. I mean, not that we're like flying hanging a banner over yeah, twenty right. catches. Right. But. I will. I will say it in my uh, four splits to no article. I mentioned that CD Lamb struggled a bit with Amari Cooper off the field. Uh, friend of the, the show, CD Lamb. Over, right, friend of the show, and 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 he expressed a little bit, I would say, of frustration when he, he talked to us about the Cowboys' offense and how it operated, especially near the end zone. So, look, CD Lamb is obviously very good, and he's going at wide receiver seven, which I don't think is egregious. His ADP is this kind of his entire career kind of always outpaced reality. But, I feel but like. from from many, I'm, I'm going to say something here, and I, I don't mean to, to you know make anybody upset, but like from many uh, from many standpoints and many measurements, the Cowboys got rid of their best receiver this offseason in in Amari Cooper, and uh, and Lamb has not thrived with Cooper off the field. I don't know if he's like this alpha force who can just do whatever he wants with second opposing secondaries completely focused on shutting him down. I will say that it's still an open question where we haven't truly seen it, but we also, we wouldn't be shocked if like it does kind of all come together for CD lamb this year. So it is, it is, he he's, he's treated in fantasy as a player who has accomplished more than he actually has, but he, he is still like right there. Like where it should not be surprising. Like if CD lamb kind of like seals the deal this year, it, that kind of thing. Yeah, man. I don't know. I like, for instance, like uh, I mentioned in my piece, if I have to choose and I, and I often do have to choose between lamb and Tyree kill, I feel way more confident in Tyree kill and his role and his dominance as a pass catcher. That's very interesting. I don't, I haven't really been put on the spot with that too much somehow this summer yet. I'm kind of not ever finding myself in that zone. I I don't know. That's an interesting yeah. one. I, really- I I think, you know, just as inside, I think Tyreek Hill's the best receiver in football, period. Well, he's the most – he's got – if the game is like a game of special traits, Tyreek Hill's speed is still probably the most special trait yes, at the receiver position. That's it. Um, like, no one is that fast. No one is that <laughs> fast. And nothing is still ultimately more important than – I mean, there's more – they're like route running is more important, but Tyreek's speed is still like the ultimate killer app at the receiver. We'll yeah. just end the show real quick. Kind of just tying back into Zeke. So you, we don't see any chance that Tony Pollard is going to pass Zeke. I think that ship has kind of sailed. Uh, are we just giving up on that possibility? Yeah. I mean, not, not uh, organically, you know, the cow, I, I will not concede even for one moment that the Cowboys will eventually come to grips with Zeke's, uh, uh, you know, descent into mediocrity and say, no, we can't do this anymore. We have to start Tony Pollard. We have to get him the majority of the carries. He's our guy. That is not going to happen. So when you draft Tony Pollard in the eighth, you cannot, you cannot envision that as a realistic scenario. You can't. Mm-hmm. He could be more involved in the pass game because there's basically no one behind Lamb and Schultz, as we just said. So, that that could happen and PPR wise, that could be nice, but it's not, he's not going to just take over. It's going to, it's going to require an injury. I mean, he was such a good runner last year, but too, he's almost completed an entire rookie contract of just being the pass catching back and 
in the NFL, if that label sticks on you for more than two or three years, it's just kind of, it doesn't matter how good of a runner you are. You yes. can ask Duke Johnson, like you are just a pass catching back. That's right. And it seems like Tony Pollard has fallen into this. Any final thoughts on the Cowboys or we wrap up the show, Denny? No, I mean, Pollard, just to speak on Pollard for a second, he, he, he was uh, really good as a, as a rusher last year in limited capacity. Mm-hmm. I don't know how that changes if he gets a bigger workload. You know, that, 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 that does change, t- tend to change things for guys who are used to seeing five or six carries in a game and suddenly see 15 things can change, but uh, I, I I'm okay with his ADP, but I'm not thrilled about it. I will say that. Yeah. So Dallas Cowboys for years, the past couple of years, you're just like overflowing with fantasy relevance. This doesn't look that way mm-hmm. this year. So really, really interesting team, a really, really interesting division, really, really interesting guests today. Thank you so much to Dave Zangaro from NBC Sports Philadelphia for talking to the Eagles, to New York Daily News' Pat Leonard for talking to the Giants, to NBC Sports' Denny Carter for talking to the Commanders. I hope you're ready. I'm assuming you don't have DirecTV and Sunday Ticket this year, so I hope you're ready to watch a lot of Commanders games again. I'm, I'm always ready. You're always ready to watch the Commander. We'll mix in some Ravens for you. Thank God. Denny. So thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for listening to our entire division preview series. I thought it was excellent. So much great stuff from all of our guests. Go back and check it out airing over the past month. We had the AFC East on Monday with Joe Biscalia talking the bills and Tom Curran talking the new England Patriots. Just great stuff every week. So check out the entire series. If you're new to the series right now uh, for Denny or Denny's got a final word here. What is I it, do. Denny? Thank you for catching it. You have to, you guys have to go back and listen to the Monday show with Crane and, and, and Pat Doherty because they, uh, Tom Curran says something about, I'm not going to give it away because I need you to listen. He says something about Kendrick Bourne uh, that does. will knock your proverbial socks off. I believe it my will, socks, I, I've not found my socks for 24 hours since listening to it. So listen to it, check it out. It will blow your minds. It was awesome stuff. So, Check it out. Check out the site. Denny's got a lot of great stuff. He's the only one who writes anything around here. <laughs> uh, you know, check out Denny's stuff on the site. Check out Matthew Barry's stuff on the site. I've got some stuff coming up on the site. So for Denny, I'm Pat. We'll catch you later this week. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. There are any number of reasons you might consider selling your home. To move closer to family, live within a smaller budget, or just wanting a change of scenery. Whatever your reasons, having to figure out all the various housing market trends in your area may not be what you signed up for. That's where an agent who is a Realtor comes in. Realtors have the expertise to help you find the right price and navigate the process to sell your home in a way that's right for you. That's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors.